Hello and welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every single week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is Around the World. Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Stewart. Thank you for joining us for episode 104 of Movie Go Round. This is an Around the World episode. Joining me to take that journey around the world, David Luzader, how are you? <laughs> That's right. We are doing the thing spinoff movie nobody saw coming, right? Did I make the correct interpretation of this film? You had that ready to go. I appreciate that. Uh, Nicole Davis, the the chooser of this movie, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. I watched this movie on Netflix, and I was fascinated and hypnotized. And I'm like, I need to talk about this movie with people. Let me (laughs) let me force people to watch it so that they have to talk to me about it. Very good. Yeah, it's a Netflix well, original, I, I believe. Uh, and this was, again, well, for Around the World, which is... Oh, is it not a Netflix original? Uh, Netflix original is a tricky term. because they the rights it, to it and branded it? Yeah, what it, what it means <laughs> a lot of the time is, like, this movie was made and Netflix is like, sure, we'll put it up. Okay, all right. So they really act as more of a distributor in that sense, but they allow themselves mm-hmm. to put, yes. you know, Netflix original in front of it. Okay, well, yeah. Around the World is, of course, an international film. It is a film that is not from the United States. It was Nicole's pick this time around. Nicole, what did you pick and why did you pick it? I chose the animated feature, I Lost My Body. Um, I was curious about it because I had heard that it was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Feature. And I actually didn't realize at first that it was a French film. Um, went, found it on Netflix, watched it, and just my mouth kind of dropped open partway through the opening scene. I'm like, what? what is this movie? Where is this going? Oh, my God. Did that <laughs> thing? What? What's happening? <laughs> and... Uh, and then I got sucked in and it became this hypnotic and melancholy and beautiful and strangely enthralling uh, film. And I really wanted to talk about it. Very good. Now, before we dive deep into I Lost My Body, I do want to mention that next week is You Did This to Us. The audience is voting and it'll oh be uh, strangely enthralling, probably, but in a very different way. So if you'd like to vote for those, mgrpodcast.com. Future Me will tell you right now what the audience voted on. All righty, Future Brett here. You all voted on The Happening. Now, Mark Wahlberg movie, very bad movie, and goodness, it's a great episode. I can't wait for you to listen to it in a couple days. We're way backlogged, so that's largely on me as our editor having a bunch of other stuff going on and i'm working really hard to start pumping these out on a much more frequent rate as i promised in the previous episode but i do feel incumbent upon myself to say when this episode comes out in a couple days this was recorded and voted on 
well prior to any of the COVID-19 pandemic and outbreak-related issues, because quite frankly, myself and my two co-hosts had a discussion about how if stuff like contagion were to pop up in the you did this to us category, those are certain picks that we would likely veto and not allow because it's just not respectful to the situation that's currently happening. And the happening's different, it, but it does toy with the idea of is this a virus that's happening or anything like that. So I do want people to know that we picked this well before then and... Hopefully you can enjoy it all the same. Thanks so much for your understanding. Back to this episode. And that's what we're watching. So hopefully it's something good. <sighs> but let's return to I Lost My Body. Uh, in a laboratory in Paris, a severed hand escapes its unhappy fate and sets out to reconnect with its former person, Naufel. As it travels the city, its memories of Naufel's life may provide answers about what caused the separation. So, Nicole, you mentioned this was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Animated Feature, and it lost to Toy Story 4. And now I can't speak to Toy Story 4. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't see it. But I know that one of the other catalysts for you was this this lost and like, let's go see it now and make sure we right. shine some spotlight on it um, because we originally were actually going to watch a different film. Yes, we were. And when this did not get the Academy Award, I was like, no, 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 we need I need to get more people to pay attention to this film before it disappears from the collective consciousness. Yeah, I actually had never heard of it. And um, I I do a voting pool with my fiance where we, we vote on what's going to win every year. And um, I had my bets on Claws, actually, because anyone that saw Claws might know it was it was really an interesting very pretty film but this i had never even heard of uh and it's really spectacular you mentioned it's french it's french but it's french with a myriad of of watching slash listening options um i feel like that's good the preface at the top of the program you can watch it with subtitles you can also watch it dubbed and the netflix dub has a surprisingly good dub cast so yeah, how did everyone yeah, watch it? Uh, on Netflix? Well, <laughs> in <laughs> nah, what audio setting? With, with the French cast with uh, subtitles. Okay, very good. And Nicole, I believe you watched both, right? Yes. I, the first time I watched this, I watched it in French with English subtitles. And the second time I watched it with the English dub cast. Right on. And and I think we can return to that a little bit later to get some discussion going about what worked and what didn't, because I watched it half and half around the halfway point. I switched from the French subtitles or rather the English subtitles in the French language uh, to the English dub, which I kind of wanted to get both flavors of it since I knew I'd only have the opportunity to watch this movie once this week. Um, And I have some thoughts on that because... Again, I was a little surprised that the dub was quite as good as it was, because typically uh, that's not always the case. But I love me some Dev Patel. Yeah, I think, um, and I probably talked about this before with, uh, with anime films in the past, that in the past, it was very big of like, okay, we're not going to put a lot of money behind the the dub. So it'll just kind of be whatever we can get thrown together. Uh, now they're doing that. They're actually like getting, you know, better actors in general and, and animated films are reaching a much bigger cast or a much bigger audience. Um, 
so I, I just feel like in general you're getting better talent uh behind it like i i still have yet to watch the little prince uh for some reason but that voice cast also on netflix uh the english dub is stacked it reminds me of studio ghibli in the sense that i see studio ghibli films and i understand why a lot of popular western actors would want to be a part of the dubbing because they're so beautiful and I don't know a ton about the folks behind this movie, but I would imagine that if I was to see concepts of this film and I was a Western actor with the opportunity to dub it, I would so want to be involved because the visuals of this film are just unbelievably stunning. I suspect it was actually the writer that probably brought more people in uh, the writer of the original novel and co-writer of the screenplay um, was one of the co-writers of Amelie. Mm. Gotcha. And okay. So that I think that may have pulled people in. I'm fairly certain this is uh the director uh Jeremy Clapin um I think has done short films before this and I think this is his first feature length and then Guillaume Laurent is the writer uh who wrote the original novel The Happy Hand. Uh, and was a co-writer. Feels like on a the very island. different tone. <laughs> I, I will say, I lost my body is a much better title. They they did a good job on that. Yeah, the uh, happy yeah. hand sounds like a children's storybook that's going to teach me how to like spell or something like that, or teach me the alphabet. I, this is this was yeah. a little <laughs> melancholy is the right term. Sometimes kind of dark. Oh sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be happy if I was that hand. Uh, so let's let's play this out for the audience that doesn't watch the film. Uh, there are two initially disjointed paths of this movie. The first, the first is with uh, Naufel, who is the the guy who will eventually lose his hand. Spoiler. Uh, but then we also have the story of his hand, of his uh, disembodied, sentient hand exploring the city and trying to return to the body. And it's fairly obvious pretty quickly on they're the same, that they're connected, that it is his hand. But, yeah, they, they they make a point of like the little, the mole on his knuckle. Right, there's a, there's a mole between two of his knuckles. It's shown a lot when you're seeing his character, when he's driving, when he's doing something with his hands. It's the same thing on the disembodied hand. Um, that didn't stop me from really enjoying and being completely swept up with both of these journeys and also trying to figure out just wh- when and where they were going to overlap and how. And that was one of the most interesting writing elements for this to me was how is this going to work when they when they match up and, and toward the end? And it's surprisingly good. Well, did either of you... The first time I watched this movie, I, for a long time, thought that Naufel was dead. Mm, and that, you know, and wondered if maybe something uh, violent had befallen him. And so the hand was maybe going to seek revenge or... Uh, you know, go and find where wherever the rest of Nofel was, uh, possibly to dig him up. I don't know. Did did either of you think that Nofel might be dead? Uh, I th- I think like the thought crossed my mind for a little bit because I mean, obviously there is a magical element to this movie that is never explained or explored, which is totally fine. Like yeah. I'm totally fine with movies doing that. Um, so it's one of the. It's just like you know, what's the I. I I wasn't waiting for a twist, but I wouldn't have been surprised by one if it was like, 
he's dying and really he's kind of living out his life slumdog millionaire style via visions of his hand as he died. I don't like it's the last thing he sees before he dies. I don't know like what it could have been, but it ends up just being the hand is alive, I guess. Yeah, for me. Eventually leaves France and meets the Adams family. Guys, I'm telling you, (laughs) it all lines up. Uh, I mean, that would be the happiest ending for the hand. (laughs) For for sure. I uh and and the ending in itself is is very open to interpretation and we can kind of get into that toward the end of the podcast for me i i picked up on pretty quick again that it was his hand and i never really had the thought that he was necessarily dead at least until the very end where i was worried he might have died but i did wrestle with just how long was there a divide between the two because we learned that from the time that Nafel loses his hand to what we see the hand crawling out of the laboratory and going in search for the body is pretty quickly thereafter. There's, there's, there's only like a couple hours overlap. It seems in the grand scheme of things, once this is all said and done. And I was convinced that it was going to be many days. I, I will say that I did. Um, I did think that perhaps more things had happened to him. Maybe he was dead because and in the first shots, initially I was like, Oh, he's seeing through that eye. Oh no, he's not. Nope. <laughs> it's just, I guess <laughs> seeing on its own somehow. Cool. Okay. We're not going with like, he's a dis he's disembodied and ghost hand or something. <laughs> uh, but it does seem to be a very quick turnaround though, from losing hand to hand is alive. It gets struck by lightning when we don't see it or something. I don't know. Of course, right. And they never specify why the hand is alive or, or how no. it's sentient thoughts or how they're any separate or different from that of Nafel himself. And I think that's okay. Why it's I don't sweet, how it can see. Right. Yeah. Right. Because <laughs> I, it, it, it has like flashbacks of Nafel's childhood. And right. I want to talk about those as well because that's almost a third little piece of this multi timeline puzzle that we're piecing together throughout the movie. And I think it's totally okay that this hand is just walking around. It's a hand, and it's sentient, and I'm okay with that. I don't need anything more. Yeah, I did have the initial question, and I did put this in the show docket. How does hand? Uh, (laughs) How does hand? But, you know, it's, it's one of those things... That and I really appreciate the movie not taking any time to like try to like give an explanation of like chemicals poured on it or something. It's just like <laughs> the hands walking around, deal with it or don't. And I'm like, okay, I guess we're just this is the movie. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, it's it falls for me. It falls under the category of when you're telling a fairy tale, you don't quibble about talking bears. Right. Sure. Sure. And. One of the elements of that that fairy tale like atmosphere is these flashbacks to Nalthal's youth, and they show sometimes a little heavy-handedly for my taste how his life went from heavy what heavy-handedly. I get it. <laughs> oh God, it took me a second there. It's yeah. <laughs> been a long week. Um, <laughs> it shows how he had a, a picturesque childhood in many ways, and he had these That's a good point. Right. But he had these loving, good parents. And then he has, you know, he's going to the beach and doing kid things that are happy and recording grass. And he really loves recording ambient, you know, sound we learn as a child as he's walking around with his tape recorder and microphone. And then it just abruptly comes to an end 
uh, the car he's in with his parents hits a deer or an elk or something like that. Goat. And a goat, yeah. And both of his it's parents die. And it's mm-hmm. it's kind of, you know, the reason to me they're showing these flashbacks is like, oh, look, when he was still able to have a childhood and be innocent. And then there's that immediate abrupt loss of innocence where it's like, I can no longer grow up or be happy anymore because I've lo- I've lost my life. I've lost my loved ones. Well, and it's, it, it's, it's a little not abrupt just- to me. Well, it's not just that. It's not just it's not just the loss of innocence. It is self-blame, probably. They don't get into it much, but you know, they show in that flashback that he was leaning out of the car. Towards the end, we see like he was leaning out of the car and his dad was like pulling him back in and like getting frustrated with him. And that's the reason they didn't see the, the goat, and that's why, you know, the accident happened. Explains a lot of why he is very kind of withdrawn as probably because he blames himself in some deep-seated way. Yeah, because his current life, when we meet him in the movie, before he's handless, his, uh, is, is sad. You know, he's a, he's a lonely pizza driver, uh, pizza delivery guy, and lives in kind of a shared home with a guy who's not related to him, right? I believe it's supposed to be. I, I mean, like I don't know for something? sure, but I believe it's his uncle and his cousin. Okay, uh, uncle and cousin. Okay, so he, but he doesn't have the the closest relationship with them by any means. No, no. So he and he doesn't seem to have. At least we're not introduced to any friends or extended family beyond the people in that house, and he just doesn't right, seem very happy. No, and he's he's clearly expected to contribute uh, mm-hmm. to his own upkeep you know the the uncle expects him to pay money in um for the household expenses and you know you can you can kind of see his unhappiness reflected in the fact that he's never he's never fully moved in really Mm. um you know he shares a room with his cousin and his cousin has posters and magazines all over the walls and things decorating and now fell has a single picture of a satellite pinned up over his mattress <laughs> like yeah. all and everything else is in a box. kids he wants to be a spaceman pianist as as we all do at some point in our lives i suppose uh, uh, <laughs> yeah as somebody who wanted to be an astronaut slash veterinarian i can totally yeah. empathize there's like a hundred <laughs> things i wanted to be and i and i actually really did enjoy that representation of uh of himself of that dream of like an astronaut and a pianist uh like at his parents funeral and i love the little detail like both of their hands are uh in, in the sling like his is as a child and he sees the you know, he sees the astronaut at some point in the future. Like, I just, I really, I don't know why I, I thought those little representations of his dreams um, were really nice, probably because they weren't focused on too much and became too much of a distraction. It was just a nice little detail and added to the kind of the magical realism, surrealism of the whole thing. Yeah. And there's a lot of those instances with just the hand where the hand gravitates toward a blind man who plays piano beautifully um, akin to his mother playing the cello or uh, the moment where, as Nicole says, crossing the highway with an umbrella turns into a journey into space. Uh, <laughs> that is, oh my gosh, probably the coolest scene in the movie. 
I don't even know how to quite describe it, but or, or also, quite frankly, what the hand's plan was, because it seemed like maybe not the best plan. Cross the street. Right. But like Mary <laughs> Poppins, like there were, either, there were easier ways to do this. Was there? I look, man. <laughs> it's sure was. It's a, a hand that <laughs> I okay. have to assume at this point is starving. Whatever <laughs> it's little little mini I, hand. Yeah, it doesn't have a little mini hand brain. It's not thinking a whole lot. I suppose <laughs> not. Uh, but this scene is is absolutely stunning. Where the umbrella does fall, and as it's getting batted around from uh, car to car, as each car hits it, as it's trying to go across the highway, uh, we see these these ethereal glimpses of like rotating skies turning into space. And it it really is just a remarkably animated scene. I think it's the prettiest scene in the movie. Most certainly. Oh, definitely. Uh, Nicole, do you have any thoughts on that scene? I want to throw the ball (laughs) to you because I know you like that scene. I did. Well, yeah, I put it in the show docket. I mean, I just, that I thought it was breathtaking almost because it went from magical realism to just plain magic in that moment where it's the hand just for a second and that experience of holding on to this umbrella that's spinning and whirling and turning and it turns into whirling skies and whirling stars and then you know, the umbrella going through space and past the astronaut and past, you know, comets and asteroids and uh, that just for that moment, the hand sort of gets to live the dream that mm-hmm. now fell had yeah. to be an astronaut. And it's just so lovely. It's just sort of the, it really captures the, the nature of how vivid dreams can be and how intense the yearning for something you dream of to be. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, that hand was really high. You know, that's, <laughs> that's a, that's a hell of a high when the astronaut starts waving at you or saluting to you, whatever it was he did. Uh, I also want to talk a little bit about the animation style because I think that's one of the most beautifully animated scenes. And I've mentioned this before on our podcast. Um, I think it might have been during Tokyo Godfathers, but this movie does it more prominently where it seems to jump. And it's because I think of this rotoscope style of animation where it is the frame rates very jumpy and that sort of thing. Uh, It jumps between like 2D and 3D really seamlessly. Like you have a lot of shots that seem very flat and then the camera turns and all of a sudden there's a ton of depth to the shot. And I'm not totally sure how to describe it, but I'm just captivated by it. Yeah, I think that is something that um, now that so much animation is done on computers, there's very little that's done by hand. Uh, you're able to actually build out these scenes uh, as like sets instead of a background. You know, for sometimes there are, there are still going to be backgrounds um, or like the items, you know, you're going to render it and you're going to render it as a, as a 3D item, but you're only going to see it in like sort of a 2D space. So there's a lot more, I guess, flexibility in camera movement. And, uh, and when you're doing that, you can make things look uh, much 
better than if it was yeah. just like a, a 2D thing that you had to draw from a different angle. It's like it's a fully rendered 3D object that then you can move the camera from one spot to another and just show that object from a different angle or that scene or that setting. I found a quote from the director regarding this where he talked about mixing 2D and 3D in his animation style. And he says, all of it is hand-drawn animation with a lot of CG support behind it. It is far from the usual clean and sanitized CG aspect. I wanted to deal with accidents and spontaneity and the strength of the movie. The animation is the opposite of a cartoon. It is realistic and has to serve the cinema, uh, the cinematographic aspect of the film. He also says, uh, 2D drawings are a succession of human choices. Depending on these choices, we will have a more or less detailed drawing, more or less pictorial drawings. The final look will be due to the experience, the eyes, the talent, and decisions of the animator, a mix of fragility and strength. Hand drawing keeps the dialogue between the humans, both creator and viewer. It is not the computer software that decides between the two. So what he did in making of this movie, which blew my mind was the characters in the sets were modeled in 3d and then they were animated in blender for those unfamiliar is free software you can get blender it's open source and free (laughs) and then 2d animators came in and retraced corrected improved and decorated according to him so it was (laughs) this 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 mixture of both 2d of classic 2d hand-drawn animation collaborating alongside very talented animators using free software, which I, it's, it's so cool. That the use of free software, especially in animated films happens much more than you think it does. Really? Um, Yeah. But also I I love filmmakers talking about their movies sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's the opposite of a cartoon. And you know, I just imagine him like taking a big inhale of a cigarette while he says that it's like, it's like, it's still animated, dude. Like I get what you're saying, but (laughs) yeah, uh, no, it's a fascinating interview. I'll throw it in, um, in our, our show notes. It's, it was with computer graphics world. So it certainly leans (laughs) on. I know. Right. Uh, Love magazine names. Right. It certainly leans uh, most heavily on this this thing that I'm enthralled with, which is the 2D animation drawings playing alongside the 3D animation from Blender. And David, I suppose you're right. Like Blender is a really sophisticated tool. And just because it's open source or free doesn't doesn't nullify that. So I suppose with animation in particular, it really is the craft of the creative and how good they are at what they do and less of their expensive technology, which is not always the case when you're filming live action. Sometimes you do really need good tech in order to do certain things. Um, yeah, I mean, any any tool is, is as good as how you use it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, Nicole, you put in the novel, The Hand Narrates Its Own Story, and they were originally going to give it a voiceover in this movie. Yeah. I'm so glad they didn't Pull do it that. dodge. <laughs> I have to say. No yeah. kidding. Follow-up questions. Yeah. Is it is it sentient in the in the sense that it is like it is Nafel voicing the hand, or is or no, is the hand it, taking it on a new own, personality? It has its own thoughts. Interesting. Again, bullet dodged. I'm gonna throw <laughs> that out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's and I mean again speaks to the talent of the animators that they're able to capture just the the tiniest shifts in gesture 
that the hand does to make you feel empathy for it. And it makes the hand feel like it's a a separate character. Yeah, Mm -hmm. there are scenes where this hand goes through both like fight, it goes through fight or flight a lot, which I suppose is what would happen if you're a disembodied hand wandering around an urban area. Um, But gosh, when it has to brutally strangle a pigeon to try to avoid from (laughs) death by impact of falling off a... I don't think it means to strangle that pigeon. No, I don't either. That's what's horrifying about it. <laughs> or or the uh, the rats that descend upon it in the subway when it first... It's, well, they, the rats just, are... T- they are yeah. terrifying. They're horrifying. Yeah, they start by like licking its fingers because they're licking off like the Chef Boyardee from the can that it had just fallen out of. And yeah, then no, they F just... Those, F those rats. He should have tried to kill them. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> no, Nicole, you're absolutely right. The the little nuances and, and ways that the hand like recoils very slowly and inches its fingers along the ground, you, you feel not only empathy for it, but you have a very firm understanding of what it's feeling without being told. I don't... Gosh, I think this would have been a much lesser movie if they had if they had decided to narrate the hand it, it would have been much more on the nose yeah like you, you don't need it yeah yeah it would have just I mean, been a hand talking about how sad it is and it's like now we get it it's a hand it's sad <laughs> i and i'll solicit i'll solicit gr- uh groans from both of you right now because i know yeah. you both hate this movie but i will stand by the fact that the cinematic revelation that is rubber uh, for all of its problems. Yeah, there they are for all of its problems. And they are myriad. There are myriads <laughs> that movie, the way they animated and they didn't animate it. I'm sorry. The way they like moved the tire around because they put like a remote control in this tire for those unfamiliar. It's a movie about a sentient tire. They moved it in a way where I didn't need this tire to talk to me. I understood when he was happy and excited and sad. Almost you all did, of those involved killing people. <laughs> it's also I, a murderous tire. This is where I, this is where I definitely lose. Psychic. Look. Yeah. There's like, okay, look. My, point being, my point being, I think that there are ways to show emotion in an, in an inanimate object or an, an object without inherent emotion that are done quite well. And I think rubber's one of them. Okay. Look, <laughs> this is better though. Because if, unless we want this to become a podcast about rubber, which we don't, uh, we <laughs> no. need to just hard right back into this. Movie. You got to be careful what you wish for, right? That's showing up at some oh, point now. Sh- when you did this do it. Sh- oh yeah. Sh- he has other movies, that director. Okay. Um, let's talk about some other uh, symbolism in this movie. Uh, the fly. So we see flies over and over, usually at key points in Nalfell's life. Uh, the fly to me symbolized like death. That's how I took oh, the fly. Really? Yeah. Like the fly shows up whenever there's death. What? N- n- or, no. or, or, or pain. Not initially. No. Like it shows up when, when his hand gets cut off. And... I, I think, because I think what this movie is at the end is a letting go of the past. Um, okay. And I think trying to catch that fly is again him maybe trying to, to not to get too like English 101 on it, but it's a little <laughs> bit him like maybe trying to capture the past. Like his life is starting to like feel good again. 
and he's like trying to capture the past. But if you get caught up in the past, your watch gets caught in a saw. And saw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, the, the director's interpretation of it, which I suppose is is right, uh, <laughs> is that um, yeah, not necessarily, not always. Uh, is that he used the fly to tell the story of Nafel's past? That that he wanted this fly to become its own character that links both the past and the present and is the through line throughout the entire movie. That was his interpretation of including uh, the fly. Like he said, oh, quote, no, see, I interpreted um, it. Oh, oh go, sorry, ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, when the no, film opens, the- it's like a puzzle. You see a black screen and you only hear the fly. When the black screen fades, we see now fell from the point of view of something on the floor. The fly drives a story. It was important for me to build a strong momentum from the beginning. Throughout the story, the fly becomes another character and we learn its link to now destiny. I use the fly to tell the story of the past. I told the story in black and white and color because I wanted the audience to identify where we are in time. Hmm. I, I don't know. I, I interpreted the fly as, uh, Sort of like the 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 God's eye view of things, or mm, I guess okay. maybe the the dispassionate view of nature. It it sees these key points in Nelfell's life, and it doesn't care. Um, and it's not like a hostile kind of thing, and it's not an accepting kind of thing. It it just is, and it's sort of how. You know, you can have these major wonderful events in your life and you can have major horrible events in your life. And, you know, especially after something tragic happens, you know, like you lose a loved one, it's almost surprising when you see the rest of the world around you going on as if nothing has happened. You know, nothing has happened to everyone else. It's it's just you and your immediate people around you. And... It's to me, it was symbolizing kind of the the indifference of the natural world to the major things that happen in our lives. Hmm. And that fly does just crawl right on out of that severed hand. He fails to kill the fly and just well, flies he, he wasn't without trying, he wasn't trying to kill it. He was trying to capture it. Yeah. Oh, I thought he was trying to get it. No, he just wanted to capture it. I and I think we're missing an important point here, which is just like New York and Sex in the City, the fly is the fifth character. <laughs> uh, I'm no, so I just, glad I don't get that reference. <laughs> and there's the not much to it. Choose the fly. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> the fly's upset. She ends up with Mr. Big. Uh, yes. The fly gets all the best tables and the best restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, no, I, I like that about this movie, though. And, and again, we'll get to the ending shortly, but I, I do think the ending has a similar level of uh, open interpretation that you can have about it. Um, let's talk a little bit about Gabrielle. Gabrielle is a woman that orders pizza from him at the beginning of the movie, and he fails to deliver on that promise. He gets hit by a car uh, while on his moped and shows up with a haphazard, uh, you know, distressed pizza and doesn't successfully <laughs> deliver it to her, but does have a very lovely, meaningful chat with her over intercom. This, and th- then he this follows movie, her. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll get to that. This movie <laughs> takes place in the 90s, right? 
1994. Okay, good. Yeah. I'm like, because at this point, I'm like, no place has that policy anymore because it's yeah. terrible and stupid. Right. Uh, the anyway. 20 minutes or less, or it's free for those who do not watch yeah. the movie. Right. That was something that Domino's used to do 30 minutes or less, or the pizza was free. Yeah, 20 minutes was really unforgiving for him. Man. Yeah. Like, yeah, that doesn't give you any time to cook the pizza, really. <laughs> that's where that's where you go wrong. These things are pre-cooked. They're sitting ready in a hot <laughs> little hot thing. Uh, but yes, yeah, right. So so Gabrielle infatuates him, and and I think my interpreted my interpretation of this is most certainly that it is someone he can have a meaningful conversation with. He hasn't had a meaningful conversation with anyone in a very long time and felt connected to someone like that. So as a young man is wont to do when he is socially inept, uh, follows her <laughs> and, uh, and, and latches Stop. on to that idea of love at first sight. Yeah. Boy, you know, when he, when he has that conversation with her over the voice box and then he like, he's calling up the libraries the next day to see which one she's at. Like that's he's all. calling every library the next day. <laughs> yeah. And like, but that's like, that's kind of cute. Like it's, you know, I, I get like that angle. Like that's, you know, it's something it's 1994. That's what you got to do. Like that's kind of cute. Everything he does after he goes to the library, <laughs> don't do yeah, following her home on the bus, that's, yeah. that's And not he goes okay. like full stalker. Like he sits one car behind her and oh my gosh. But yeah, to David's point, there is very much an element of cuteness, of rom-cominess, of trying to find the missed connection. Um, and then it just gets kind of weird, especially when like he ends up finding her and interacting with her in person. And instead, and, you know, David, you put this in our docket. Why doesn't he just reveal himself to her why does he have to uh wait yeah, so long he... but he, yeah. he could have told her like when he meets her when he when he follows her to her uncle and he meets her he could have been like hey tr- miss paths with you i'm pizza guy but no it, he has to get an internship with the uncle to make it sound wood stuff ter- it sounds terrible no matter what but it's worse later when he waits like weeks to tell her yeah yeah and he yeah, waits to tell her until he has wait- her cornered like <laughs> what what is this running theme we have between this and um goodness uh twilight catching catching amy or chasing amy oh, chasing where amy. <laughs> don't don't reveal things that could be potentially uncomfortable to a person when they're cornered and alone with you <laughs> and he does that yeah, he brings her up to his an igloo uh <laughs> an igloo that he built for uh, based on like a 10 second conversation he doesn't know her i think this is kind of what you were getting at brett like is she like an actual character or is she just his infatuation Uh, yeah yeah that, that was my thought was that you know does she have any depth and does does she need to have any depth in the sense that she she is this infatuation. She's this fantasy, right? Because he does very much embody the young guy, love at first sight. I can automatically picture the rest of my life with this person, even though I don't know them. I'm already conjuring what their personality is in my own head, right? Because you don't know what their personality is. And we never really get it. Even in the select scenes where we get a little bit more out of Gabrielle, 
it's very surface level. We know very little about her. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know that we that we need to know more about her for narrative purposes, um, because she serves the function she serves is that she she sparks his imagination again. You know, she gets him thinking about an igloo out on the tundra and the wind rushing by and making this noise. And it's the first time he's really thought about a, a bigger distant place than himself. than when he, you know, since when he was a child dreaming of being an astronaut, it gives him something big and inspiring and, uh, you know, magical kind of thing to, to think about. Mm-hmm. The miss for me with Gabrielle, though, and I agree with you entirely, is that when she storms off from his igloo, <laughs> which is just as an odd she sentence, should. as, as she, she should, should yes. sure, she is um, entirely within her right mind to do so. Exactly, and and he tells her, you know, hey, you know, look how chivalrous and romantic this was. Big miss there. Uh, she makes the comment to him about how. Did you even think about how this is impacting my uncle? Because he goes to the uncle. The uncle doesn't want to take an apprentice in his woodworking shop. He is not well, clearly, um, which apparently now Fells is entirely oblivious to. Uh, but he's not well. And and he kind of opens up his 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 home and, and his shop to, to now Fell. Now Fell sleeps in the attic type space that's delegated to apprentices. And she makes the comment, you know, do you even think about how this impacts him? And, 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 you know, do you even want to be a woodworker? You're just using his shop and generosity as a way to get to me. Um, she alludes to all of that. And then none of it really ever gets fleshed out. We don't really see how it impacts the uncle and what the uncle would have thought. And I just wish I had gotten a little bit more out of that. Well, but it is, but it, I think that the woodworking was starting to give him a sense of purpose. It was starting to, I think, I think what started out for him as a little bit of a, uh, inappropriate fantasy, let's just phrase it that way, uh, did turn into something productive for him. Um, it's unfortunate that this girl kind of, kind of got wrapped up in that, but I think for him, it was ultimately setting him on a good path. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's pretty clear from the way they show him uh, being really engaged when he's in the wood shop with uh, Gigi, who is the the uncle, um, and when he's alone in his apartment eating his extremely sad dinner of hot dogs and beans warmed up the microwave. Yes, um, <laughs> that's gonna explode. He's reading, you know, he's reading a book about woodworking. He's learning all the important terms and, and techniques and tools and everything that he needs to learn about, you know, he's really applying himself to this job. Yeah. And, um, dang it. I totally just spaced on what I was going to say. Oh, uh, the igloo, even as weird as it is, it, it's a talent to do what he does. Like that is, yeah, especially making something like arching yeah. that connects at the top like that with it's an a, impressive build. Yeah, but especially see, for her first build. Yeah, <laughs> uh, agreed. And I and I think it does start to give him that purpose and spark that imagination. But we don't get the 
the other side of it, which is the uncle. You know, she alludes to, you know, are you even thinking about him? And then we never really get any of that. We don't we don't understand what the uncle's life is um, and how it's altered with having Nalfell in it. And I feel like that is something I wanted a little more of because the uncle does turn into this, dare I say, fatherly-esque figure to him in teaching him mentor. how to woodwork. Mentor yeah. is a better word. And we just don't get any resolution there. And it made me particularly sad when Gigi comes to him after his hand has come off. Uh, I make that sound like it just came off. After he's cut off his hand, uh, Gigi comes to him and, and is knocking on the door and trying to get a hold of him and wants to make sure he's okay and ha- wants to have him you know, sign the discharge papers in the hospital and all that stuff. And he just ignores him and eventually leaves without saying goodbye. And I feel for Gigi. I want more of Gigi's interaction and, and reaction to the end of this. And I'm sad I didn't get that. Yeah, the movie's 81 minutes long. It's not very it's long. pretty short, yeah. Um, yeah, you get thrown in another 10 minutes and fleshed out, I think, that relationship a little bit more. Yeah, I, I wish I would gotten a, a little bit more of that. Um, DG was one of my favorite characters. I just really enjoyed his, his time in the movie. Um, but let's talk about yeah. the end. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Nicole. Oh, I was just just going to mention while watching the dub, I'm, you know, Gigi's introduced. I'm like, well, I wonder where they found that guy that sounds so much like George Went to do Gigi's voice. And it's it's George (laughs) Went. And then it's George Went. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he's he's wonderful in it. Now, now at the end of this movie, after he has decapitated himself, uh, he packs up all his stuff. No. He did not decapitate Oh, decapitate his head. After he... (laughs) cuts off his hand <laughs> that would have been an entirely different movie if the head was running around searching for the body probably could have kept the D extremities himself d d dismembers himself i don't know dismembers himself dismember like probably would be appropriate yes. uh but he he goes and, and he leaves he packs up all of his things and neatly leaves the apprentice workshop that he was staying in and uh and he goes to the igloo and he goes back to this conversation that he had uh, with 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 get with Gabriella with Gabrielle, which was his explanation to her of cheating fate and how in order to cheat fate you have to do something that fate doesn't expect you to do that you were not destined to do and then as soon as you've now cheated fate you don't let it catch up to you you just keep moving forward and he uses the example of jumping from the very top of this roof which is very high up to a nearby crane. And he does that at the end. He goes and he jumps the crane. And it's this, to me, the symbolic cheating of fate of now. He has now relieved himself of a lot of the things that were holding him back from being happy and being content with his life and having passion about something, as we've talked about with the woodworking. And he cheats his fate at the end there, in a way. And where do we think he all goes, though? Like, what happens at the end for him when the camera stops rolling or they stop animating? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be tough to That's climb down with one hand. That's kind of a mystery to me. Well, sure. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those it's things. Not a, but I suppose yeah. you'd have to be an experienced woodworker already. Yeah. Um, to manage with a hand and a, uh, you know, a prosthetic or something, and still be a woodworker. See, yeah, I don't get the yeah. vibe that he wants to still be a woodworker, though. I get the vibe that no, the woodworking so. was the, he... the gateway to opening up his life to new things. 
yeah, I feel I, like he's probably going to want to make a clean break and just go like leave Paris and, and go find something entirely different to do. See, that's, that's, that's what I'm coming to with the whole leaving your past behind thing when he leaves the tape recorder behind because the tape recorder was his entire connection to his past, to his childhood, to his parents. And then he leaves that behind and he makes that leap of faith. Uh, and I think that is just the, the symbol of that is like he, you know, he's forward. He has to kind of leave his past. Behind. And the literal sense of that is leaving behind the little family he has left and letting go of everything. And, you know, I think you're right. I think leaving Paris is probably uh, what happened to him. Right. And leaving the hand behind. <laughs> right. Yes. Does the yeah. hand and follow, I mean, though? Nah. No, I don't think. I suspect that the hand, you know, dies in so much as it can. <laughs> Yeah, the guardian <laughs> angel it, that so it much as it's alive it. now and dead later, you know, I, yeah. I suspect it's animating force will leave it. Right. Um, but I mean, it, it's, you know, it's very clear that it's his, his past that's been holding him back and tripping him up because it's his, it's his father's watch that gets caught in the bandsaw and pulls his hand in and it's him trying to catch the fly that that's what i'm saying has him distracted and the kim trying to catch the fly is something that he was that his father told him how to do you know he said if you want to catch the fly you have to put your hand where it's going to be not where it is um, right and so in trying to move his hand into a different place he puts it too close to the saw and the watch gets oh my god oh, it's so horrible not wear jewelry <laughs> while woodworking no yeah there's and a lot don't of woodwork with a hangover also that <laughs> well, there's also... a scene where even Gigi is guiding his hand and he's just holding his the 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 piece of your hand between your your thumb and your index finger and he's just pointing it at the saw like there's an accident waiting to happen at so many points. Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe woodworking, it's really good that that's not going to be his career. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and also I feel like, to David's point of being connected to his past through the tape recorder, gosh, you have to imagine that you'd really be hung up on your past if you had a literal tape of your parents dying, which is what yeah. he listens to at on repeat. Oh, there's so much therapy. <laughs> that, that <he> was, <laughs> so, very oh, much. so much to unpack. Right, but he but at the end he tapes over it, you right? Know, yeah, for his when he records his effort to get over to the crane. <laughs> when he tapes, maybe his own suicide. I don't know. So it takes let's a talk about that because that had me at the exactly. edge of my seat. Well, but like, but yeah, but you don't know if he's going to make the jump. This is what I'm saying. It's like right. I, I, don't, I don't think he's trying to make the suicide. It just it could end up being his suicide. <laughs> accidentally i no i was just picturing gabrielle as like c-3po in a new hope where they're all screaming through the intercom and she's like oh my god r2 they're dying because as soon as he hits the crane he shouts out in triumph um because she follows his movements as she listens to the ambient recording of him uh jumping over to this crane uh and there's some amazing work with the with the animation with the with the camera work for lack of a better term is, yeah. you know, she's listening to this recording of his steps backing up and the camera tracks where now fell would be if he were doing it at that time. 
you know, it, it mm-hmm. tracks back to the spot on the roof where he would have started and it moves forward as, when he's running and you can see it, you know, track over to the crane when he jumps. And, did, you know, it's marvelous. Mm-hmm. Did either of you have a worry at any point that he was going to hurt himself? Oh, sure. <sighs> yeah. That, that, that really it's was a tense scene for me. the one hand. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's, he's, I mean, but he's snowing and he's, and he's stepping up against this ledge and there's this shot where he hops into the air because he's hopping backwards off the ledge and that little yeah. hop, my heart just dropped because they make it look like he just jumped. Yeah. No, I worried that he wouldn't catch it. it was, you know, you know, there are plenty of people in this world with one hand, you can do a boatload of extremely athletic things, but he had just lost the hand. So he wasn't used to doing physical things without it yet. Right. So I was very worried that he wouldn't quite be able to catch himself. Yeah, doing an act where you that requires a certain amount of grip strength is pretty <laughs> risky when your grip strength is re- is reduced by half. And, well, probably more so. Based yeah, on it was how probably his dominant work. hand, I would imagine. Right. I think. Yeah, yeah, it was his right hand. Oh no, wait, maybe not. Right-handed. Maybe not. I seem to remember thinking that he was a lefty through most of the. I don't know. He was shown to be. He was always holding the tape recorder with his right hand. Okay. All right. Yeah, you're right. Okay. So <laughs> I want some cleanup of some other discussion topics here as we begin to to wrap up in the next 10, 15 minutes. Uh, why does this movie seem, seem so melancholy for most of its runtime? A question from because Nicole. It's, be, because it's French. Who are we? That's that's joking, but also not. <laughs> like, there's a little <laughs> bit of truth to that. Um, it's a, it's a movie about loss. Yeah, that's my yeah. short answer. And and I think it's a movie about more than loss. It's a it's a movie about longing because he's he's longing for uh, this relationship with Gabrielle. He's longing for something in his life that gives him purpose, which he starts to find. Um, you know, he's he's a very down on his luck guy that needs something to hope for. And and he finally seems to have that. You know, the closing scene of the movie when he's laughing and excited is is the moment at which I think it's the only time I, I've really seen him fully content and happy in the movie. Yeah. Well, yeah, other than his, his memories of childhood. Right, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, to me, I was thinking, you know, that the the hand is sort of a... It, it's a, a very literal symbol of Naufel's old life, you know, and his, his past and the things that he's been you know, hanging on to, for lack of a, a better word. He's And the memories are presented in a way, you know, it, again, making me wonder if Naufel had, had died. Uh, the memories are revealed in a way that made me feel like they were about a character who has passed away, you know, about a, a life that no longer is. Um, mm. And, you know, in fact, the hand, I believe that the hand, since the hand can't rejoin with now felt that it's, it's going to die. It's going to lose whatever's animating it and become lifeless. Um, and so to me, I'm just like, Oh, you know, this is a, 
this is very clearly a, a transitory thing, you know, even as the hand is in transit uh, going toward now fell. This is it's a transitory time for it. You know, this is a, a fleeting uh, series of moments and they're going to be gone soon, you know. And so that's, I had this really powerful, yeah, a sense of loss and longing and melancholy. But I mean, sometimes that's yeah. that's a beautiful thing to linger in, the way that it's done. It it very much, um, and I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on all points. It, it reminded me very much about um, Shape of Water as well, because Shape of Water is a, is a movie that is about that is about love and these beautiful things in life, but is also about loss and melancholy and, you know, people finding each other, but not being able to stay together. And just even like, even when you find these moments of joy, they can also be moments of sadness because everything else that's wrapped up in them. Isn't that the one where she bangs the fish? Come on, man. <laughs> I, just, I needed to put you on it. I, <laughs> I knew know you were going to do that. that. I knew <laughs> you were going to do that. Oh. oh my gosh. I love how that is all people think about with that we movie. We are going to watch that movie on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh. No, but, but I you think you're what? totally hand, right. And as Nicole said, yeah. it's a beautiful place to linger in, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the hand does get this one moment of joy. I think, you know, it, it, it has this sort of pensive moment, I would say, as it um, on the piano when the when the blind man is playing, um, and of course, you know, they do this clever thing throughout the movie where the only people who see the hand are animals or small children or drunk people, or you know, it's in proximity to someone who is blind. You know, people who can't either can't tell others what they've seen or won't be believed. Um, right. But the the hand makes it into the next apartment where there's a baby. And Bebe. it gets it gets really weird here. <laughs> um because the the baby I'm glad is you brought this up organically because I was trying to figure out how to get to this discussion topic, but continue. But I mean, this this gets to the moment of joy that the the hand yeah. gets to have. You know, there's baby having a bath, and the mom's on the phone, and she leaves the bathroom, which you should never do when you've got a baby in the bath. I know. <laughs> By the way, public service announcement, because uh, they can get into trouble in no time flat. Um, it's amazing what babies can do. It is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like they're trying to hurt themselves constantly. Yes, but um. But the baby's delighted. It sees, you know, the hand above it and it's, you know, cooing and wa- waving its arms and everything. And a little later when the baby is in its crib and it's lost its pacifier, you know, the hand finds it on the floor and brings it up to the baby and gives the pacifier back mm-hmm. to the baby and then just puts its index finger in the baby's hand and the baby just holds it for a second. And it's, it is so lovely, which is really weird when you stop and think that there's this disembodied hand on top of the baby. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it's it's really the way that it's done. It's this really beautiful little moment. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about the music as well. The music, 
Uh, scored by Dan Levy, who is one half of the French electro-pop duo The Day. Um, Which is, I thought it was. So I looked up, is it, I looked up Do, but then I looked up the pronunciation of that of that O with a strike through it, and but it's you're looking A-Y. Up Danish pronunciation, and it's a French duo. See? Oh, the more you know. <laughs> All right, the dough. Um, I don't know. We can argue. We can argue, but it's the yeah, it's the oh with the slash through it. So right, it's open to interpretation. <laughs> uh, but no, the the music is just it's this sparse electro fusion style where it it doesn't play that often. Uh, but when it does come across and in these like sweeping soundscapes of just almost like a wall of sound hitting you at times, it's it's really remarkable. I enjoyed it a lot. It actually kind of reminded me, it, it, it was a little bit like a a very romantic version of John Carpenter, in Ooh, a way, in okay. a sort of spare electronic, uh, you know, synthesized sound. Um, but he does these, you know, the score does these beautiful arpeggios, which are supposed to symbolize the mechanics of destiny, you know, and the movement of the relentless movement of forward of time and the flute is for Naufel's childhood and strings are the relationship between Gabrielle and Naufel. And these, these three synth notes are, you know, every time there's a new memory introduced and it's just, it's, I bought it the next day Uh, after (laughs) I watched the movie a a a few times. Yeah. A lot of thought and care went into this film in like every way. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we can joke about how flowerly and verbose (laughs) he is when he talks about the art of making movies and the way he makes his movies, but you can tell it is very much uh, a passion project and it's, it's beautiful. It's really, really a beautiful film. It is. It's from beginning to end. I would say for an 80 minute film, it's the kind of movie you could watch over and over because it does have that rewatchable value. I don't really want to see his hand get cut off more than once, but other than that, yeah. um, just the just the, the the style that we talked about earlier, where they had these two D animators hand drawing a lot of it before the three D animators came in, that combined with these really bright colors and almost like paint like atmosphere where where you like it, like the cityscapes look like they're painted which i suppose they are if they're hand-drawn um and then you match that with music that is as vibrant and sweeping as that visual and it really makes for something that's particularly captivating um but not to the academy well well i i, I want to touch on this here nope. at the end it went to forky <laughs> Yeah, it went to Forky. Um, another, so here's what I, another Arrested Development alum. Yeah, so uh, you know, David, you mentioned that it was nominated for Best Animated Film, but does anything that isn't Pixar slash Disney, uh, everything that is Pixar slash Disney has a small chance. What will it take for other studios to have a real shot? I pulled the so, list. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, so I, I just pulled the list as well. So the uh, the award's been handed out for the last 19 years. Uh, mm-hmm. 13 of those times it has gone to Pixar or Disney. Um, and some of the years where it didn't, they like just didn't have a movie at all in it. Uh, I think like the year that uh, Rango won, which it should have won because Rango is a fantastic film, but like yeah. there was no Disney or Pixar film in that year. And pretty much uh, 
it's pretty rare otherwise for a uh like the first year that it happened shrek won but there but it was up against like monsters inc and of course shrek was a better film uh but it's very <laughs> rare that any film that is not like disney or pixar gets to take it yeah i mean there's some weird ones in here like for instance spirited away did win the following year the second year of the award and that beat out lilo and stitch and treasure planet and spirit um but then there's some weird ones like for instance howl's moving castle lost to wallace and gromit uh which the white rabbit yeah is distressing um and uh and toy story's kind of cleaned house every time it showed up yeah they're completely different styles of animation so yeah, but one of them is it's a masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, one of yeah, them is a masterpiece. I'm not gonna, I am never going to but, take sides against Howl's Moving Castle for anything, but I <laughs> do love Wallace and Gromit. Which, but which is fair. But e- but even outside of, uh, outside of Disney or Pixar winning, it's usually still like a studio that we know, right? Like it's going to be DreamWorks. It's going to be uh, in the case of Rango. Uh, paramount and nickelodeon uh right or sony last year with spider verse like it's still like these small independent studios get nominated which is nice but they never have a chance right like what what would it like what would it take what's it going to take for those to get noticed I don't know. It was interesting, though. I was I watched the Oscars, and when they read out the nominees and they read out "I Lost My Body," there was a small but vocal <laughs> "woo" from like yeah, the, back one, of the auditorium. The one person who was there representing the movie. No, there was a. It was it was sizable. I mean, it wasn't not it wasn't nearly the majority of the audience, but I you know I'd say probably like an eighth to. Uh, sixth of the audience <laughs> like, is it is it one of those things that kind of the truth is most of the academy doesn't watch the animated movies probably probably i would think so and that might be part yeah. of it is that you vote for the studios you know and the people you know that were in those movies um i was i was fairly convinced claus was going to win because claus had the seen claus it's really beautiful but it has kind of like the best of both worlds in the sense that it has a lot of name brand people in it and it was produced by Netflix as well. Um, <laughs> name brand people. Um, it's kind of like it's it, the movie, both in, in casting and in, and in execution is kind of like Wes Anderson light, like Jason Schwartzman's there and you know, those sorts of people. Um, but it, it had that, but it also had just a colossal promotion machine behind it. I, I live in Chicago and on my commute, I would see so many posters for claws on Netflix um, plastered all over the L in Chicago. And it was all over the front page of the Netflix app. And I thought, but it was also made by a small studio in Spain. So I thought like, Oh, this might have the best of both worlds. Um, <laughs> there was, there it's was no forky. Of- yeah, there was some love for uh, Missing Link in the awards season as well. Um, it won the the Golden Globe for Best Animated Feature, which I think surprised a lot of people. But just when it came down to it, it was... And not to say that Toy Story 4 wasn't a great movie. I cried at Toy Story 4. I'm not going to disparage Toy Story 4. But watching this movie, it's like, oh, like I normally would not have seen this unless we were doing it for this podcast looking at the list of animated films that have been nominated there's a, a number of them um that i just have not 
seen and, and probably would not normally have seen, but still got enough traction to get nominated, but never had a chance, no matter how good they might have actually been. Is there now, I'm curious, David, which would which would you have gone for? Oh gosh, out of the two? Oh god, I don't have to that's Toy Story 4 is wrapped up in so much of my growing up, it's hard for me to separate that out. I don't know. <laughs> the answer is How to Train Your Dragon, because that was also nominated, <laughs> and it was lovely. Yeah, um, uh, but the, the fact yeah. Persepolis never beat Ratatouille in 2007 is still a crime. That's all I'm trying to get at. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, to go back to our original question, though, I wonder if it's a, if it's a similar principle to that of a foreign language or international film now uh taking best picture with parasite which is that parasite was able to break into the cultural lexicon of for the first time ever in my life uh wherever i went when i went to work people were talking about parasite this year and it wasn't just because it was nominated for oscars and and other awards it was well before that people were like oh my god did you see parasite and it became this this movement of it's almost like people that like love to say they saw Parasite, right? Like, did you see Parasite? Uh, I had to catch it at a small independent theater. Um, like, there definitely was like that element of it for sure. But there was also draft, right? But like, but it was definitely like partly. It's the movie lovers' movie to win because all the movie lovers loved Parasite this year. But also, it it transcended into that cultural lexicon and enough people were talking about it that normally wouldn't that it was able to take best picture. And I wonder if that's what you need from an animated movie. Do you need it to break those boundaries in a way that I don't think I lost my body or claws or missing link did. Um, you also, you also need the Bong Joon-ho behind it. Bong Joon-ho has been building up. Uh, he has a long career. It's not like this is like, and, and, and who's this Bong Joon-ho guy? It's like people, a lot of people had seen <laughs> Snowpiercer. Uh, a lot of people had seen a number of his films. It He had been, he was not an, an unknown quantity. And I guess maybe that's what these movies need outside of like voice actors is they need, yeah, and, uh, you know, outside of like your Brad Bird, I'm not really sure who like the animation person is that could do that. I feel like Henry Wes Anderson... I feel like Wes Anderson is ripe at some point to win an Oscar for an animated feature. He he, Fantastic Mr. Been, Fox didn't win. It did, it did not, win, not no. win, and I love yeah. Fantastic Mr. Fox. Um, but that was a, a lot pretty of people love Fantastic Mr. Fox. It's, oh my, it's my movie. favorite movie of his. But it, it was a competitive year because that was the year well, that up, up came let's, out. Let's, <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Yeah. yeah. Well, and also like Coraline came out that year. Like there's a princess and the frog was nominated <laughs> that year. Um, yeah. But I wonder if you need that in an animated movie that we just haven't seen yet outside of the likes of Pixar or DreamWorks mm-hmm. or Disney. Yeah. I don't know. Well, maybe in 10 years, you know, Jeremy Clippin will come back with another <laughs> animated feature. That's just as eloquent and uh, lovely. And we'll, Hopefully, it will have a better chance then. Yeah, because maybe in that sense of Pong Jun Ho, like I looked at this article that Rotten Tomato had put on their homepage today about uh, ranking all of his movies in terms of how well they did on Rotten Tomatoes, and there's only like seven or eight of them. He hasn't made a ton of movies, and yeah. all of them are rated very highly. I think the lowest on there is in like the low 80s or something like that, and. 
I'm scrolling through this list. I'm like, oh my God, this sleeper agent of a, of a director is just waiting to pounce on all of us because everything is just getting better and better and critical acclaim keeps mounting and mounting until it finally exploded this year. Um, and maybe you just need that in the realm of animation. Yeah. So I lost my body. Uh, Nicole brought it to the table. I thoroughly enjoyed this. So happy I saw it. Uh, David, what about you? Yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. I wish uh, I had to watch it kind of uh, up to the the minute. You know, I, I had like a little bit of time to think on it. I wish that I had, I had more time. I think the further I get away from this movie, the more I'm like Nicole. I'm glad I got time to talk about it. Um, I think I'm going to enjoy reflecting on it as time goes forward. Absolutely. Nicole, do you have any closing thoughts on your pick? Yeah, I just, you know, it's on Netflix. It's only 81 minutes. I would encourage yeah. everybody to see it if they can to watch it. Um, it's, it is about a disembodied hand, but it's not in any way. <laughs> it's not really graphic. No. Um, yes. You know, you see the stump, but it's just sort of this solid pink. It's not like detailed cross section of bone and you know, blood vessels dangling out or anything. It's just <laughs> this isn't body horror animation by any stretch. No, no, it's not. And you don't see the hand being cut off and you don't see a whole lot of blood. It's, you know, it, it's, it's pretty okay. I would say for kids, like maybe nine or 10 and up. Mm. Um, yeah. If so. anything, it's a cautionary tale for wood shopping. School. <laughs> don't wear jewelry while woodworking. Uh, <laughs> But also, I'm you're thinking of Arrested watch... Development when you say that, <laughs> and yeah, that's why you always leave a note. Leave a note. Uh, you're going to want to watch through the credits because at the end, like the hand uh, walks into a building, and Lurch steps out of the shadows, and he says he wants to talk to you about the Adams Family Initiative. And, oh man, uh, you I had, had to get one more in right at the end. You had me going for a second. All righty. Well, I lost my body. Check it out on Netflix. And if you want to be as outraged as I am right now, you can know as well that Boss Baby was nominated for an Oscar and is now becoming a TV show. So It already is a TV show. Oh, yeah. my God. Okay. No, I knew it was nominated for an Oscar, and I... I've rolled my eyes harder in my life, but it was a near thing. <laughs> Oh my god. All righty. Uh <laughs> that'll do it for us. Next week again as you did this to us. We announced it at the top of the program, but you can go in the show notes as well to follow along. And if you would like to vote on those, mgrpodcast.com is where you can go. You can also email us hi hi at mgrpodcast.com. We would love to hear from you. Let's go around the horn. Nicole, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd, uh, Nicole underscore Davis. Very good. What about you, David? You can find me on Twitter under the username Davluz. That is D-A-V-L-U-Z. All my stuff will be there. Very good. And you can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. That's Brett with two T's and S-T-E-W-A-R-T. We'll see you next week with You Did This To Us. And I have a call to action here at the end of the program. Go and check out either on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. If you're enjoying the show, if you've been listening for 104 episodes, we badly want to grow this audience. It's growing slowly and that's wonderful. Let's see it explode in 2020. Go leave a review, your honest review of however you like the show or don't like the show. Hopefully you like the show on one of those two platforms so we can continue to grow our wonderful audience. We'll see you next week with You Did This To Us. 